0: Hello you! Welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we're talking about the 1993 American political comedy classic Dave. We're talking about it with Hector Gonzalez. I am one of your hosts Alex Steed and I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host Sarah Marshall. Dave is a 1993 American political comedy film directed by Ivan Reitman. It was written by Gary Ross. It stars Kevin Kline, Sigourney Weaver, and many other greats who we will talk about in this very episode. Hector Gonzalez is a uh, a writer, a poet, uh, a commentator, He's just a lovely person. All around, we were so happy to have Hector here with us talking about Dave. We've been trying to schedule uh, with Hector for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> for like, for literally maybe a couple of years. And they've been very patient with our flighty scheduling. And I was so happy that this was finally able to happen. I often say this. Sarah and I are two Tauruses. We were born on the same day in April 22nd, uh, five years apart, but we were born on April 22nd. We're very much two Tauruses. We're always on the move. Once we say we're going to do a thing, it'll eventually happen. <laughs> so we are grateful for Hector's uh, patience with us as we got this episode together. Quick announcements. You're Wrong About is going to be at San Francisco Sketch Fest on February 2nd, accompanied by Chelsea Weber-Smith. They're talking... About the uh, urban legends that are alligators in the sewers. And the following day on February 3rd, You Are Good will be joined also by Chelsea Weber-Smith of American Hysteria. And we will be talking about the movie Forest Gump. So please come join us there. Come laugh along. Have a good time. Uh, This is a huge deal. So many of my heroes are going to be at Sketchfest, and we too are going to be at Sketchfest. Cannot believe this. Come find us there. Please, please, please. Information is in the show notes. How are you doing? How's everything going on in your world? Uh, What's going on? What are you reading? What are you watching? What is moving you? Let us know at you are good uh, or you are good pod on the various socials. Uh, we're back to making some videos at you are good on Instagram. I'm posting those same videos on my TikTok. They're being edited by Alyssa Onofrio, who was on our Gremlins 2 episode. Alyssa's doing a great job editing these videos, so come check them out. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. I hope you're staying warm out there. I hear and I understand it is very shockingly cold throughout the country so uh yeah thanks for spending some time with us hopefully we warm you up your heart at least thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon and apple podcast subscriptions in exchange for your support you get bonus episodes we have a barbie bonus episode coming out any minute now so you can hear us talk about barbie over on patreon and apple podcast subscriptions barbie's doing big at the award shows, I think. <laughs> so you can uh join in on our nine months late conversation about that, that movie. It may may only be six months late. I don't know. Uh it came out a minute ago and we're finally talking about it in bonus land. Thanks for supporting us. You make the show possible and we appreciate you. If you are a supporter of uh ceasefire efforts and activities and you're looking to get involved in a calling for ceasefire beyond just saying something on social media or wherever. Look up the folks at Jewish Voice for Peace. They can point you in the direction of activities and actions in your area. And with that, I think it's time to uh, get into Dave. And this is a fabulous episode to kick off a shit show of a political year. Let's go back to 1993 and talk about Ivan Reitman's Dave
1: Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed, or as the president says,
0: also hello. (laughs) Uh, Sarah Marshall, have you seen any movies lately that were made but 30 years ago? However, they feel like they were made 100 years ago with regard to its view of the American presidency.
1: I watch those movies all the time. But yes, I have especially seen today ivan reitman's kevin klein's dave
0: (laughs) oh hell yeah hell yeah
1: which made me think and i am excited to get into this later about how in the 90s for whatever reason we loved to make little movies that were just like little fantasias of like what what would it be like to be president because there's this and then there's the american president which Mm. is what if the president had a crush (laughs)
0: i like that the conceit of this one is like what if through a sheer series of of accidents the president had a heart that is a fun thing to imagine
1: which is kind of also the premise of that i haven't seen it but i'm sure it's great john goodman movie where he becomes king of england because he's like 18th in the line. king
0: ralph (laughs) (laughs) I was big on King Ralph when I was a kid. Well, before we go further, we should uh, introduce our fabulous guest and the person who brought Dave to us, which is uh, Hector Gonzalez. Hector, hello.
2: Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for welcoming me. And as the president says, go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hector, what is your relationship with this movie and why is it one that you thought would be good for unpacking in the
2: feelings department? So to give a small introduction about myself, I am a Mexican born queer writer and I watched this movie back in Mexico when I was living there. And I remember how, how much it made me feel, oh, this is what it feels to have a good president. Mm. And not gonna lie, it clashed a lot with what we were living through in Mexico City. Well, just all in Mexico. We had, until that time, a political party that had been reigning for about uh, almost 65 years and we didn't see any change. We still see lots of politicians as corrupt uh, or untrustworthy. So seeing a depiction of a president that cared, and not even the president, someone that said, you know, we can make things right. And that that hit me on this part of like, oh, I wish presidents were like that. And I kind of collected other stories, other comics where the presidents were very out there for the people trying to make the right thing, making the right choices. And I see this as one of those movies that made me imagine that the United States were better. Mm. And eh, I've been (laughs) almost 30 years over here in the United States and I was mentioning this this to Alex. I have seen this movie about 10 times. Each time I get a new update, like, "Mm, yeah, These these wouldn't happen now.
1: (laughs) It's so weird to read because I watched this on just on a rental on YouTube, which I often do when preparing for the show. And the top comments are like, wouldn't this be nice? This will never happen. Wow. What an amazing idea. And then the lower you get, the more the comments are like, this is what Trump would have been like if he'd been allowed (laughs) to do what he wanted to do. And it's like, yeah. And that's the point where you're like, what do people think Trump thinks and feels, contrary to everything he's ever said about it?
0: My favorite part about those—I watch it on YouTube, as as we we both have the same tendency to do—and uh, my favorite part of that is in the description of the movie. It says, "And supporting players Frank Langella, Ving Rhames, Ben Kingsley, and Charles Grodin supply more reasons to stand up and cheer." <laughs> i really love
1: the idea of someone standing up and cheering for charles groden <laughs> me too it's the only right way to be who would hate that he would be like sit down <laughs> did you
0: catch that this movie um i'm obviously not going to remember the screenwriter's name though i will mention it was written by someone right after coming off working the dukakis campaign Oh, no. So it's like very informed by Dukakis v. Bush. and the Michael
1: Dave Dukakis. Yeah.
0: I think our real president is Bush and our fake president is Dukakis.
1: <laughs> I agree. I was watching this and I was like, so this is clearly Bush, you know.
2: <laughs> it's an amalgam of Bush and a little bit of Clinton. And mm. an interesting tidbit it's that... Both Clinton and Obama loves this movie. They even, mm. I think, they have some memorabilia around it. So they mentioned that it kind of it's inspiring for them. Like, oh, this makes being president easy. And, <laughs> eh, maybe,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's like George H. W. Bush's affect with Clinton's libido. Yes,
1: a terrifying idea. <laughs> Don't you love the idea of like Obama getting his DVD in the mail from Netflix and he's like Michelle. Let's watch Dave. Dave just came. Got a big bowl of pistachios.
0: Before we dive further into Dave, Sarah Marshall, is there any way that you will grace us with a, a description of what the hell is going on here?
1: I would so love to. This So this is a movie... Speaking of our personal histories with this movie that was very exciting for me to revisit because I remember watching this movie when my parents, my mom must have rented this from like video chest and it makes me feel like so much affection for how much work a video rental had to do. In the early 90s, you would go to the video store and you would like browse the movies and you would be like, I am picking this one movie. Maybe I'll get two movies if I'm rich and I'm going to take this movie home and I hope it's entertaining. If it's not, I have no backup plan at all. (laughs) And I remember my parents renting this movie and watching it with them. I remember the questions I asked because I was like six or seven at the time. And my mom like explaining the movie to me, and I really re- kind of remember the whole arc of it that way. And that's kind of special to reencounter. But so, Dave is is a movie where Kevin Klein plays two unforgettable roles. One, our horrible President Mitchell, who's just like just kind of a joyless prick, I would say, you know, um, and corrupt, but that's natural, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and we have a lot of actors showing up and doing. A great job doing what they always do. So we have Ving Rames as our Secret Service guy. We have Sigourney Weaver as our First Lady. We have Frank Langella as somebody evil.
0: I didn't grow up on Dave. This is the first time I've watched it. And it struck me now that like a lot of people's first experience with Ving Rames was not Marcellus Wallace.
1: Mm. Well, mine was Mission Impossible. Oh,
0: sure. <laughs> it was this lovely man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it made me, I was like, I feel like before smartphones you could probably kind of do this they're like we have surrogates for the president so when he needs to do important top secret state business we hire a lookalike and so they find this guy dave also played by kevin klein who as we will soon also see in in and out is like a lovable small town guy who rides his bike around town in a suit oh yeah i love him
2: (laughs) he's the best i love that bar That. I mean i bike a lot and saw the detail that he has the the pants side folded just to avoid getting into the chain i said okay that's detail i love that (laughs) so nice
1: and i feel like any stuff and there's something about this character that like i'm we'll get into exploring it more later but i feel like he's occupying the place of like the arthurian legend type wise fool where like he can he understands the situation because of his sort of wide eyed innocence about things so he runs a temp agency he's a big softy he's friends with charles grodin who's an accountant who's like charles grumble grodin charles grodin had this incredible presence right
0: he really did (laughs) I love Charles Grodin so much. I, as a child, loved Charles Grodin. And I think it's because he and my father had a very similar resting uh, bitch presence. And I really enjoyed that about the two of them so much.
2: (laughs) I call that he has this kind of serious softness that he may have (laughs) like very, very poker face. But if he just moves a little bit, you know, like, oh he really he's caring he has he's a softy and that's a part that you have this softy that whenever he has a friend that if they want to just relax they just go throw ball together and have a good time that's i mean who doesn't want to have that as a friend
0: yeah i love that that's really nice charles i hope you hear this wherever you are
1: uh yeah dave dave knows what a good life involves and you got to have fun with your friends and Do good in your community. So he's like, You gotta take this temp placement. Charles Grodin's like, I can't, and he's like, You will.
0: By the way, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just realized that so the writer who I was talking about earlier, Gary Ross, wrote both this and big, and they're kind of the same movie.
1: (laughs) They're both very twinkly. That's true, they are, and then also elf. It's about
0: the wise fool. Yes, exactly. Yeah, elf, yes.
1: It's interesting because for a while we were doing a lot of movies on like a Faustian bargain theme and now we're doing the Mm. wise fool theme.
0: I love that. That's we need that probably that the universe is talking to us.
1: That's the theme of baby, baby New Year, baby 20. We need to have parties like I assume people did in the 20s where you have like a baby and you put a sash on it and you say (laughs) 2024. I don't think people actually did that. Maybe they did. Maybe it's because cartoons.
0: (laughs) We can do we can do anything we want. (laughs)
1: Someone get us a baby. this man a baby (laughs) anyway what's dave about so he like shows up at a car dealership where he does his like president impersonation where he rides in on a hog and a little girl is like mom is that the president her mom is like i sure hope not sweetie and i remember watching this with my mom being like mom i don't understand (laughs) Explain it to me. I guess we watched a lot of movies that were, like, frankly, above my pay grade as a kid. I also remember watching The Piano with my parents at about the same time. Oh, boy. So Dave was, like, a really kind of a a cakewalk. (laughs) Because you ask for an explanation and your parent gives it to you and you're like, I understand that motivation, but you don't understand why Sam Neill would cut off his wife's finger. (laughs) But just one of them... (laughs) oh my god all the people who are here for dave enjoy (laughs) don't show the piano to your first graders or maybe do if you want them to end up like me thank you so he's doing kind of like low level president impersonations the secret service shows up at his house they're like we need you for a very important job to impersonate the actual president and he's like wow this must be super important state business And as you can imagine, the super important top secret business he's helping the president do is actually boinking Laura Linney.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And more power to him, Uh, not for the dishonesty in his marriage, but I understand having strong feelings about Laura Linney.
1: I'm going to say a weird thing, and I just hope this can be a safe space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if you were like a black tie, some kind of a black tie benefit with Laura Linney, like she was always showing up at in movies from the mid 90s. You know, she had like black tights on when you want to just like just nibble on her calves. <laughs> <laughs> just take her out to the Washington Monument and just nibble.
0: <laughs> you are in a safe space. If she needed it, I'd be there.
1: Well, yes, of course. That's the key thing. <laughs> Pack up some little cheese cubes. And anyway, so he's having sex with Laura Linney and he does a private Benjamin. He dies on top of her which there really should be a support group for women that's happened to. It's got to be tough. And Well, he doesn't die, but he has a stroke and it's pretty bad. And so the top men of the administration, Frank Langella, the House Speaker and Kevin Dunn, who I th- is. Is he the chief of staff in this? He's the
2: uh, chief of staff. It's Frank Langella. And I think that the oh. script writer It's uh, Dunn. Oh, he's mm-hmm. right.
1: OK. That that makes sense. That's yeah, yeah. why he has ideals because he has to write the speeches. Yeah. And so we have Kevin Dunn as like one of the two kind of main White House guys we know, which I love because Kevin Dunn is in Veep. He's like one of my favorite actors to show up in anything. I guess always have a nice time with him. He always looks kind of beleaguered. And in Veep, like, they show him, I swear to God, like, lying defeatedly on a couch in the same position with the same furniture arrangement as in this movie.
0: (laughs) I think he's, and you, I know, we had to exchange about this already. You believe Kevin Dunn is at his hottest at all times. (laughs) I think that this is Kevin Dunn at his hottest with the scruff the beard I think he looks great in that it's a good scruff yeah and it's so funny because you're right I mean we do see that same imagery but this is like a bizarro world veep Kevin Dunn because he's like a sweet man who's full of optimism
1: this is what Ben was like before he really gave up the ghost you know
0: yes Definitely, and we have we have in this movie because it's an Ivan Reitman movie a lot of people who've been in Ghostbusters too, <laughs> including Kevin Dunn and Sigourney Weaver.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah. He's the guy who's predicting the end of the world. Yes, yes. That's so good. Wow. Uh,
0: I think that was my first Kevin Dunn in my life.
1: Nora Dunn's brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Madonna's ex from Body of Evidence, Frank Langella, his most famous role. And Kevin Dunn cook up a scheme where they're like, we're going to say the president had a stroke, but only a little one. But then we're going to sub in Dave and he's going to pretend to be the president. And then because he's such an idiot, I, Frank Langella, can complete my scheme to implicate our Boy Scout vice president, played by Ben Kingsley, the same year Schindler's list came out, I'm pretty sure. So he's really at his most trustworthy
0: big year for Ben.
1: <laughs> two movies about the potential hidden within the human spirit let's say broadly um i frank langella i'm going to implicate the vice president in a corruption scandal that he actually wasn't part of and then once i've eliminated both him and the president i will become president Ha 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 ha. That's correct, right?
2: Yeah. That's his master plan. It's just, okay, I made this guy. I made Mitchell and I'll do everything possible because I'm the puppeteer. I'm, I'm tired of being behind the scenes, which puppeteers, if they want to stay in power, why be in public?
1: It's true. It's a good. We've really seen that play out in the post
0: Dave years. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's like I think that if I saw this movie in '93, I would have been like, "Huh, all right." But seeing this movie after Cheney, as I was like, "Yeah, "Yeah, for sure." Why bother? This is real. (laughs) The,
1: The ideal thing is to have Dave in power forever. And I mean, you know, we are at this moment, and this is the elephant in the room as we talk about this movie, staring down the barrel of another election year. And I'm sorry to be saying this to you. Usually people say this to me and I'm like, shut up. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but like, it's, it's going to happen probably. And it is, you know, something I've seen people kind of writing about and reflecting on is how really the thing about the Trump administration that kind of kept all the horrors from coming through the door at once was Trump's sheer ineptness and stupidity and how terrible he is at any kind of government and how like the real Mm -hmm. fear is like, who's going to come after him. Mm -hmm. And we all have a lot of real fears and I'm excited to talk about them as we explore Dave. But so, yeah, so then, you know, he's president and he, he's having a lot of fun with it. And I would love to talk about just like the vibes of this movie, because that feels like it's so much of it. He realizes that First Lady Sigourney Weaver hates him. There's this bill that Frank Langella is going to veto that is going to provide housing for homeless youths. And he's like, I've had to cut it. And so if you can find $650 million in the budget, you can keep the program. And I was like, that costs $650 million?
0: (laughs) No money at all. It's great do it but
1: also like they're like we can't build houses for these children if we don't have 650 million dollars and i realize it's part of a larger bill but like surely it's not <laughs> that expensive to do just the one thing <laughs> just get jimmy carter on it
2: <laughs> and i can imagine i i haven't checked how those 650 million dollars translate to current time we could do a, a check on how much that would be but to me, that was one of the elements that Simon t- t- put clearly, okay, Dave really feels for what's happening. It's not detached. It's not heartless. I think that's a part that you have a president with a heart and it starts showing it on the places that where it matters. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he's not a real thing, but when he starts to believe that, well, kind of look like the president, what would I do if I could do this? He calls his friend, uh, also orders to make ma- sandwiches and all that. His sandwich designs on an early scene, he has just this Table with all the different kinds of accoutrements that you can put in there. And it's very (laughs) weird, but not gonna lie, I replicated that sandwich. It's good.
1: Yeah? He knows what he's (laughs) doing. What has it got on it?
2: So here it is. I I have the notes for this. So.
1: (laughs) Okay, fantastic. This is important. I love it.
2: What I spotted, he put Dijon mustard, shaped carrots, lettuce, yellow cheese slices, craft, but looks a little bit like different kind of uh, type. He puts another type of cheese slice, turkey, tomatoes, and Just spread all around. There are also cucumbers, olives, tomatoes. It's like the messiest subway that you can imagine. And (laughs) I'm sure that this sounds like a stoner's uh, order, but it's good. It's a good combination. That carrots gets a really good crunch. It's surprising.
0: This is the right audience for a stoner order actor.
1: He's kind of anticipated the popularity of the banh mi with the carrots. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a Dagwood Bumstead sandwich too, mm, yes. which goes with his.
2: <laughs> I, love it. I put that that he make, he would make Dagwood either uh, jealous or proud. So it could be
1: both. <laughs> Dagwood would be like, "I'm glad I'm not president."
0: <laughs> Although Blondie would be would kill it. God, you did say, and I know we'll jump back into the plot, but you did say, like, let's talk yeah. about the vibe and the one thing. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that are happening that we can comment on, and I think so much is owed to. Kevin Klein being absolutely perfect for riding the line. He's
1: incredible. He's
0: so incredible. And like riding the line between, you know, that this is like an actual circumstance that this character is in and then like playing heart, but not being too sacred. Like his, his balance is so phenomenal. But the first thing that struck me in watching this movie... Is we have a thing that you just never see anymore, which is like three to four minutes of swelling, high positive emotion orchestral music with just beautiful pans of stuff. It's true. You know, you see the city, you see Washington, you see a helicopter, you see all of this stuff. And it's just like it begins with these beautiful Uh, strings vibes (laughs) and you just that just doesn't it's a bygone era thing uh, that almost makes this movie feel like it's from like 50 or 60 years ago not just 30.
1: Well and this the like grand beautiful orchestral scores of the 90s that even some comedies had like Liar Mm. Liar I think was like a beautiful score that must have cost (laughs) So much money, you know, because that was what we were doing then. And these are made by all kinds of different people, but I think of them all as being in some way by Alan Silvestri, you know, because he did nailed that kind of vibe. I was also watching the trailer for the American President, and as like you know, temp music because like maybe their scoring wasn't ready. They used the score for Little Women.
0: In it. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Which is just like, but yeah, like this movie, there's like this profound sincerity to it. And then we get to the scene, which I feel like I saw people kind of discussing in 2016 when Trump was running for president on the theme of like, Trump will be like this. No, he won't. Where Dave, you know, calls in Charles Grodin. And is like, help me figure out how to cut six hundred and fifty million dollars from the budget. You're an accountant. And then he does. And then he like announces how they've saved six hundred and fifty million dollars. And that's like, how do we feel about that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that seeing that scene the first time. It is just so beautiful because yeah. there is initially this part of this belief from each one of the people on the cabinet. I mean, the first one that he calls is the military. Say, "Hey, we need to cut on this part," and the guy is just giving this look like, "Oh, nobody has ever asked us to budget. So <laughs> what's up with that? How do we, how do we do that?" And little by little, I have to say that it is both how everybody gets so into it by the end, everybody's cheering on everything. I just think that how many times do we cheer for math in movies? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a math montage. Oh my God.
2: Yeah, I like that we
0: get of all hands on deck. I mean, the the unsexy reality is this is going to get kicked to Congress and mm-hmm. they're going to cut it up.
1: Because actually, the president can't just do stuff. Is the weird right. thing about yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Eventually, like this is all before we were really dealing with like pork spending and earmarks and like all that stuff is going to get added back in at some of this expense. But that's fine. I love this scene. I love that he's like pitching very novel things like. Also, just like they're not radical suggestions. Like one of the suggestions is like we're essentially paying crony contractors money that we're sitting on because like they're not delivering their product. So what if we put that money in a savings account? And they're like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah.
2: And I mean, one of the things that it is so beautiful is you seeing Fred Langella. Getting angry, just sitting, Uh, because when when Dave decides just to say like, "Oh, we have this on the budget, we are doing this today," and he cannot contradict the president, he cannot go around (laughs) saying like, "Okay, you little shit, you are not, you are doing what I say." But nope, it's lovely, and I got to say that. Yeah, the first time it hits very, very deeply. But the latest time I remember just watching it, preparing for this. And when we get to the military, like, oh, they will never. That's when we go into science fiction part. That (laughs) They will never say, oh, we cannot give money back. We already haven't spent in what? I do not know, but. We have spent
1: <laughs> it makes me think of also the episode of veep where they're trying to find budget cuts and they're like well we can save 50 million dollars or billion something a ton of money by cutting this military project that's like designed for a cold war scenario and they're like great this will work and then it the explanation is like no you can't cancel this project because like the rudder or whatever is made in this district in cheese dick wisconsin and now you've lost those voters right and and the thing of trump you know the fantasy of trump by people who thought this was the most essential thing about him was like he's a businessman Which I guess was possible to believe at the time. I mean, it still is if you're insane. He's a (laughs) businessman. He's going to go in and run the government like a business and he's going to make it lean and like save money. And, you know, now that his dad's dead, I guess he can't ask him to show up and buy $3 million worth of chips at his failing casino and then, you know, not gamble them. But he'll do stuff, he'll save it. And it's like, really, the reality is like, even if he was actually good at that, And that was what he was interested in doing. I mean, it makes me think of like a strategy game where you have to like get across a board, but you can only move one tile at a time or something. Yeah,
0: right. And I know, I realize he didn't write the movie, so obviously this stuff isn't coming through, but like, Ivan Reitman's kind of was notoriously like a libertarian. Yeah.
1: Which is what Ghostbusters is about. The government (laughs) wants to set free all the ghosts.
0: Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, there's a great piece that I think originally ran on The All, uh, AWL, Mm. as you are familiar with Sarah, but like that. Oh yes,
1: may she rest.
0: That does not exist anymore because of that, but it was written by a great writer named Matthew Phelan, who wrote the actual Atlantic article that appears in Ghostbusters. You see like the cover of the really? Atlantic yeah and he like wrote he wrote that what that article would have been like
1: that's beautiful
0: and it, it's a lot sort of seen comedically through the uh, libertarian lens of Ivan Raymond. anyway that's total aside <laughs> Ivan Raymond notoriously libertarian and you kind of see some of that stuff come through where it's like he's like i'm fine with like spending and making sure people get jobs and like kids aren't homeless or whatever but like in order to do that we need some extremely simple elementary fiscal conservatism (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) we need to all all get in a room and agree to spend where the spending matters and don't spend where the spending doesn't matter and that's great and it's a it's an incredibly moving fantasy it is.
1: Well, and guess the fantasy. And look, when the pandemic hit, I was like, wow, wouldn't it be exciting if we could all come together across political lines and like fight a shared enemy? Forgetting that our fantasies of that happening in the past are lies and that there are plenty of Americans who are like, I think the Nazis are fine. I don't think we should bother with this, you know, as an example. And guess that like, and you know, as far as I can tell, the whole thing of Washington, it's that it's like everyone trying to like get into a position of power and then keep it. And the behavior you exhibit around that is very different than like, let's all cooperate to make a better society. Mm. because a different project. So yeah, Dave is doing too good at his job and must be eliminated. Meanwhile, the first lady has figured out that he's not her husband because he looked at her legs and has a soul. And so they have a like magical night out in DC, which is kind of Roman holiday-esque they get pulled over by gary from the thing Uh, or not gary (laughs) norris and (laughs) we have sugrini weaver being told by a traffic cop that she's they like pretend to be impersonators and he's like you're good but she needs a lot of work (laughs) she's gonna leave initially but then they both go back to the white house and decide to you know They kind of talk about it after she finds out what's been going on. And she's like, you know, you've been doing a good job. You should just maybe keep pretending to be president. You're doing better than the real president. And so Frank Langella takes him down and implicates Kevin Kline in the corruption scandal, which the man he's impersonating actually is guilty in. And so he gets up and confesses and then pretends to have an even bigger stroke Seacrest out. (laughs) Um, And then it wraps up with basically Ben Kingsley becoming elevated to president and Kevin Klein deciding to run for local council and going back to his roots. And Sigourney Weaver shows up and they kiss in the office. Big music, big orchestral score. Dave. That's Dave.
2: Beautiful. One element that I think that they how they managed to seal the whole thing when Dave is having a heart-to-heart with Bing Reims from the Secret Service, he's asking basic questions that you imagine like, okay, would you take a bullet for the president? And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that Bing Rames doesn't answer. He just pretty much stays silent. And when they leave Mitchell to be taken to the hospital and everybody believes that he's having his second stroke... Bing Rames is in the ambulance with Dave and the hard part, yeah, that phrase that he just tells him, I will have taken a bullet for you. And mm. that, that hits you. That makes you think, yeah, I, maybe it's a job, but this is a job that I would gladly do for you. And the, that's the part that they close that after they kiss uh, the Campaign office and employment center. You see, Bing Rhames just pretty much on the front with his pin for the new candidate, and see what happens next.
0: Yeah, because you you imagine you imagine Bing Rhames hasn't enthusiastically felt like he'd take a bullet for his boss in a while.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: God. <laughs> and now he has a new guy that he's like, Oh, you actually kind of believe all of the things I imagined y'all would believe when I first got into this job, and that's a really sweet progression. I also I love their heart to heart at the end generally I like seeing these guys get close together it's really nice yeah and Ving Rams worry about how his neck looks in a sweater I relate
1: yeah because Kevin (laughs) Klein is making these very sweet overtures of friendship the whole time and Ving Rams kind of seems like he has to kind of ignore it on a professional basis and then finally he can be like I like you too I really like you
2: (laughs) Can we still be friends after camp?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is that. Well, and I, this movie made me think about how, and I'm sure there's tons of movies that still do this, but it feels like we were on a real kick in the 90s while you were sleeping is a great comparison to this. Movies where somebody gets caught in some kind of escalating misunderstanding slash lie and then like learns a ton about themselves and then goes back to their daily life with a renewed sense of like, What they should be doing, and Tootsie is also a good example where it's like you rise to great heights, and then you know you like you lose it all in a dramatic moment. For I am not Emily Kimberly, daughter of Dwayne (laughs) and Al McKimberly. No, I'm not. And then you like you end up back in your normal life, knowing who you are more deeply, and you get the girl. Mm. Or Bill Pullman.
2: (laughs) Also, we have to admit, uh, it seems that Mrs. Mitchell has a type. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Dave. Can we talk about that as a fantasy where it's like... Where your
1: shitty husband is replaced with a nice, like, just the same guy, but nice.
0: (laughs) By a changeling. Yeah. Like... This movie is a change. <laughs> if you see it from her perspective, this is a changeling story. Oh, yeah. The so Wee <laughs> Folk got him.
2: I think that the part that Dave continues doing, and as Mitchell, it's making people believe in him. When hmm. he's at the press conference room, I do not remember what's the official name at of the White House. He starts mentioning about the mannerisms. He has studied what the president does. And you see the script writer, I forgot his name, that he's getting cozy with him saying, Oh, I wrote that, that speech. Oh, sure. And he starts delivering it. And you see that they are starting having this kind of relationship. Like, oh my God, I like this guy. I, I actually want him to be the things that I write about. It's like a fanfic writer meeting their hero and say like, Oh, so if I write this, you're going to hmm. do it. Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> right. It must be so strange to be a political speech writer too, because like, You write the things that politicians get remembered by at their best, as if they thought of them themselves. Like if you do a great job, you're completely invisible.
2: Mm. And it's about that element that I think that whenever you are writing for these kind of political figures, you are trying to pull the strings that people will have that same feeling that, oh, I believe in you. The speech writer did it. Uh, miss mitchell did it too being rames believe in him and at the end most of the population believes that he was a good president they do not know about the philandering or anything but for the for the things that he tried to do he comes out great but again fantasies
1: (laughs) well yeah
0: the thing that's lovely about dave and the thing that makes you cheer him on early on is that like There's that wonderful scene where he's Hector that you're talking about with regard to him sort of giving this giving the speech that uh, has been written by Dunn's character. But you also just get the sense that like he knows that speech because he believes in the power of the office, like he believes in the sanctity of the office. And like you're like, oh, like this is a person who actually, unlike. All of the people we've met in Washington at this point who are so jaded by their experience or corrupted by everything like this is actually a person who believes in what's powerful here. Mm -hmm. And so like you can't help but to root for him from that point on because he like he's not a career. I mean, and this is another like beautiful, almost like conservative fantasy is like he's not a career politician like he's just a guy who believes And what's possible? And you're like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I want him to win. Well,
1: and I guess one of the central questions that's worth asking, uh, you know, as we think about our futures is like, how optimistic are we capable of being? And when does optimism become, you know, unproductive?
2: How much to believe in what the messaging is? Yeah, it's. (sighs) (laughs) Right. And I, I think a lot about the representations of presidents. I mean, either they are badasses, like I think Harrison Ford, when he's on Air Force One, just punching <laughs> everyone into peace. Like, oh, or sometimes the other comedy that also it's kind of close to, to me, my fellow Americans about two different presidents that they hate each other because opposing parties, but at the end, they end up becoming great friends because they see an America that can be better. Mm. And that kind of themes makes me think a lot about how much these movies are kind of to convince others to, yeah, you know, we can still have a little bit of hope about things that can be great, that can be changed. And if we think a lot about, I think Dave mentions that being a president is a temp job, you're there and you're get reassessed at your 4 year performance review yeah. and people vote if they want to keep you there or not
0: right yeah he represents like the the purest ideals of the office and like i think like i think like before i mean i have incredible amounts of dread about many things structurally that mm-hmm. are happening here and i also have incredible amounts of hope but none of that hope is in the office of the president <laughs> Right. And like, I have, I have tremendous hope in like social movements and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, I see a lot of power for that here. And I see incredible change from what I remember even 20 years ago. And I think that that's where my hope is, but I, I would have, even a movie like, like remember this movie that came out 15 years ago? It was called Swing State, I think, and it had... Yeah, Swing Vote. Swing Vote, thank you. With Kevin Costner. Yes, Kevin Costner. That feels like the very last, and that came after eight years of a horrible Bush administration. Yeah. And it feels itself like the last possible time <laughs> you could swing that kind of movie because of what the presidency or just like sort of like what career politicians' attacks on the presidency, et cetera, like actually looks like in real time. And like that's that I think is like why Veep works so well is mm-hmm. it it reads the room on where people are um with regard to politics overall and plays with that rather than to play with, you know, hope and imagination.
1: Well and VEEP feels accurate to me, not that I have any sense of what actually is happening in these rooms, obviously, but like from what I've studied of history and like what feels true about how you know people do the most harm is like like we often wonder like what are these people in washington and these career politicians like career politician feels like a dog whistle phrase but like what are these people in washington thinking about us out here in in the rest of the country and the answer is they don't they're not they don't care (laughs) you know like we're just sort of whatever happens is like the result of the necessity to execute a political agenda where, you know, the point is that they're not thinking about you because you don't matter.
0: Hector, what has changed since you saw this and this when you initially saw this, you're like, this is how I'm being told about what's going on in the presidency there versus watching this 10 more times and, you know, 30 years going by. What is how is your relationship with the movie changed?
2: So i watched about two times back in Mexico and I remember sharing this with a friend that was politically inclined. And at that point we saw it like, yeah, this is a fantasy. This is just about how nice would it be to have a nice president that it is looking out for you. And then on 2004, I moved to the United States. Initially, I thought like, oh, it will be just six months doing work here and there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been almost 20 years. And it, with each view, it also helps being informed about how, how things happen over here. You also see the media impact on how a president reacts and performs. And. Not gonna lie, I arrived to the United States at the moment when the uh, the DC sniper was happening and the kind of coverage and information that I was bombarded with, it was incredible and left a big mark on me. And I was just 30 years at that moment and getting all these other myths broken at the same time. And with each viewing, It becomes more visible than nuance, and all these kind of peculiar things about American politics. That if we could compare it to something, it would be one of those boards that you see somebody trying to explain the the network of things and Mm -hmm. how even moving just a small thread can change everything else and. It is a delicate balancing act in many cases, and I recognize it for what it is. How it affects me as a as a Latina, as someone that also lives with so much fear about any laws that, well, just in Texas this week, they authorize one that it is pretty much if they see someone that looks Latino and they suspect that maybe an immigrant they may be able just to ask me, hey, where are your papers? Or not mm-hmm. even ask your papers, just take you and sort that, that that later. Mm. And I think that I stick with this kind of hopeful movies because hope is very powerful. Mm. But at the same time, and this is something that on a recent talk, Roxanne Gay came to the city of Austin for the uh, book festival. She said, hope is important, but... In many cases, we leave hope as a wish that somebody else is doing it. Mm. And it should be more about, okay, how can I, I unite these communities that I am part, or how can I be part of a community that yes. is making hope actually happen?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's beautiful. And I, the more and more I think about why this feels like from its of Igon era, is I'm realizing like, this is before like Newt Gingrich came to his full power. <laughs>
1: Hmm. (laughs) What was his whole deal? I was too young to really understand what he was up to.
0: Newt was like so it's so it's it's always it's difficult to talk about these things because in saying that not difficult, but I I don't want to say like Newt came along and was like necessarily better or worse than anything Reagan had just done for eight years because there was right. You know, there's there were things that were happening, whatever. But Newt is kind of the person who came along and was ultimately was the House minority whip and then oversaw kind of the Republican congressional the shrillification of the Republican
1: congressional. Oh, yeah. Committee okay.
0: And made it like a fucking all out kind of attack. Like Tip O'Neill is in this movie and represents right. kind of like an old style. We like disagree, but like we can sort of like reach some sort of consensus, even though like whatever.
1: Yeah. Tip O'Neill like went to Reagan's birthday parties and stuff.
0: Right. And Newt Gingrich was out for fucking blood from the get go, was against pork, but represented the Lockheed Martin district, like was like the perfect illustration of all of that, like wild Republican hypocrisy that was also about like, if hey, if we have to burn the house down in order to take out the opposition, we're going to do it. Right. And it really feels like it's like this could only be born of a time before.
1: <laughs> And that is now the only world that a lot of, you know, that anyone socially relevant remembers, you know, certainly anyone allowed to say the word Riz. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably already out.
0: Absolutely, but to the but to the point, Hector. I'm glad that you said that and and brought up what was said by Roxanne Gay in that case. Is like that is where I have hope. Is that you know increasingly I even beyond just sort of like being rhetorically about it or being about it sort of like here and there and being like community is important. Like yes, of course. Like but I what what I do increasingly and heartfully believe in and have hope about is like is what communities are able to do on our own behalf. It, in opposition mm-hmm. sort of in governance and you know this again like this movie dared be like what would it be like if elected representatives actually liked us i've kind of given up on that a little bit i will be a utilitarian with regard to how my votes are but i believe in community sort, and i believe in like what my contribution is to that
1: i believe in america
0: yeah i do believe in the community part of it
2: and even with these changing times and everything i still see that there is a couple of big mistakes on how Bill Mitchell decides to try to heal America saying, Oh, everybody needs a job. Mm. And that makes you think a lot that it is another one of those. Okay. Pull up from your boat straps and try to yeah. just do it all by yourself and everything. And yeah, finding something to do may see as a solution for economic disparities by some. But it is not.
1: But not if you work at Dollar General. That's not going to give you a sense of purpose.
2: Exactly. And that's the part that I put that, okay, it is not that there are not enough jobs. There are not enough jobs that allows you to be sustained, that, that allows you to do what you want. And maybe you want to, besides that job, you also want to do music on the side. How can you do it? Well. Not not with a budget. Maybe I think that at that time the minimum wage was like still seven dollars, something like that. It it hadn't moved a lot from then. So it's a job. It is not the thing that would make the the situation better. It's I started thinking a lot about that, and it's an expression of care. And I think that what you saw on this movie, it was a political establishment that seemed to care. Mm-hmm. And when people care about you, I mean, it could be friends that they from time to time send you a text or just send you a meme that says, Oh, I was thinking about you. And that make, uh, makes you think about them. And maybe you have a conversation from there or when they know that you're down there to attend to maybe those needs that don't come into your mind at that moment. And, it's what I think a lot about what a good government could be that cares about us on a way that it is not about how much can we provide to the economy or how much can we just make everything better for everyone. And it's again, it's the hope that we are seeing besides just statistics that can make other balance sheets look better. Mm.
1: Yeah. And is that the real dream of politics, maybe? Because it feels like what, like the thing about Dave is is not, you know, he is a good guy, has a lot of good characteristics, but really that the special thing about him is that he's created this unprecedented scenario where someone who identify, who actually identifies as of the people is in the president's seat, which has never happened
0: Right. And usually when you have someone saying that they're of the people a whole lot, and then they get into the presidency, (laughs) they're not very good at representing the people's (laughs) interests. Right.
1: I mean, you know, I think Jimmy Carter was pretty of the, but then it's like you get into, well, what can the president actually do? And it's like, well, very little, like it's more of a performance art job in a way.
0: And I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, but we certainly saw I mean, I I think I would have before 2016 poo-pooed tone setting.
1: Mm, right. But no, it's it's a hard job. <laughs> right. And then when
0: I saw what tone could be set, I was like, uh-oh, I greatly underestimated the import of tone setting.
1: <laughs> well, it is weird. Like American democracy is so interesting to me because you're brought up on the idea that like it's all about equality, it's all about treating all Americans as equal. So it seems in a way like we're presenting it as this very sort of logical, you know, not frilly kind of a thing. It's not royalty, it's democracy. But then that like it's held together by so much ceremony and pomp and circumstance and that like our ability to have this semi-religious belief and like. You know, we have something called a whip. Why do we have someone who's called that? Does he whip people? You know, probably not. Only sometimes. Only when the pages are being very naughty.
2: <laughs> and I think about a lot of that kind of ritual that we keep in different kind of things. We see that in religions. We see that when they are starting the assembly, when President Mitchell needs to come in and say, oh, I'm really corrupt. You see how everybody needs to be on their seats. Somebody needs to come in. It's almost like announcing, hey, the boss is about to talk. Everybody sit down and you know what to do next. And that kind of performance these days, it is broken a lot, because in many cases, when it's done for the right reasons, they are raising their voice when they are not being heard or On the wrong reasons, they are doing it mostly because they want to get a a viral tidbit that they can just run around and say, "Oh, I'm there to make the change."
0: Hmm. Right. Well, yeah. I I watching everyone respond to him having the stroke again, like collectively, like it was a bad thing. I watched that like uh, nostalgically. I was like, there isn't one person being like, he's lying. (laughs) That's a good point.
1: (laughs) And also, like this movie is about like, what if an insane conspiracy theory did take place and that's Mm -hmm. something about these 90s movies too where it's like i don't know i don't take this theory very seriously but i was like have we been conditioned in some way by all these movies to be like no supernatural things happen all the time and we have to believe people even if they have absolutely no evidence of it (laughs) and are vaping during beetlejuice
0: i do love that we get that in the um the Oliver Stone appearance in this movie. Yes. Where
1: is he? I didn't spot him.
0: He shows up as a guest on Larry oh, King. Oh, he's on
1: Larry King. Yes. Oh my, I didn't yeah. realize that was Oliver Stone.
0: <laughs> and he's and he's the only one who spotted it because he's, a, at this point, was well known for his conspiracy theory. Because
1: this was like the year JFK came out or something close yes, to yes,
0: it. JFK yes, JFK had come out within a year, yes.
1: Now that is one magic loogie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought that that was fantastic.
2: (laughs) However, and this is something that while doing research on the movie and everything, one of the things that they mentioned is that Woodrow Wilson, after Mm. he had a stroke, that in 1919, some people suspect that it was not him just pretty much being the president, that it was some of the staff keeping the things moving. Mm -hmm. And who knows? It's one of those elements that it is a rumor, but it's well documented that... He withdrew a lot from his activities, and I don't think that they went as far as getting a second Woodrow Wilson look-alike.
1: But, you know, it would have been pretty easy.
2: <laughs> it was, yeah,
0: it was certainly an easier time to pull yeah. that off. <laughs> right.
1: Imagine being an impersonator before photos. I mean, I mean, not that Wilson was around before photos, but give it another hundred years back in the past. And it's it's a cakewalk.
2: Also, this is the second time that Kevin Klein uh, portrays a president.
0: What was the other?
2: Well, I think this was first. And then on Wild Wild West, oh, he dresses as... I'm trying to remember which president was on that movie.
1: I don't remember either, but I remember <laughs> Kevin Klein. I remember Kevin Klein in it. I remember seeing that movie when I was uh-huh. like 11 and being like... I liked it.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it was these uh, guys as the president. And immediately the character of Will Smith discovers like, no, it, it is not him. I know all about him. He's a lefty. You're <laughs> righty. What? Something's wrong here.
1: Will Smith is more observant than anyone in this movie.
2: Another thing that uh, how the political discourse at this moment, you don't get the people just pretty much screaming completely about what Mitchell is doing. They have a little bit of doubts, but they are not kind of wanting everybody just to go to the streets and try to destroy the whole project. Mm -hmm. And maybe what you mentioned when Newt Greenwich came in, he created this wave to say, we are retaking Uh, this country for the republicans and we need to do it through these steps Mm -hmm. and the first thing that was the the exploitation of fear on what people thought that they had and the main thing that people get very scared over here in the united states is the loss of freedom Mm. Mm. but the more i think about it it's the loss of their privileges so Mm -hmm. more than the land of the freedom it's oh the land of the privilege for me yeah for the people that it is scared about that. Sure. Um, in this movie, you can see that people are not so concentrated on that. The word freedom, it's not so mentioned. That's something that I mm. kind of was very, very acutely trying to see. Oh, does that happen? Does that have that messaging? And gives you an idea about presidency as a service, and another movie that I also love with honors, with Brendan Fraser, Joe Pesci and everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. There is a moment when he's in class with Brendan Fraser and the teacher, this pompous idiot, just trying to make him look back because he's an on-house person. And I have here the, the speech that he say, what he says is. Our founding fathers, in quotes, were pompous white middle aged farmers. But they were also great men because they knew one thing that all great men should know they didn't know everything. Sure, they would make mistakes, but they made sure to leave a way to correct them. The president is not an elected king, no matter how many bombs he can drop, because the crude constitution doesn't trust him. He's just a bomb, okay? He's just a bum. Hmm. And it's that part of that temporary job that it should be more something that we hope that people in power see that it is not your ticket to be forever well. Hmm. It is a contract that you have with the people that you are representing to hopefully care for what they are experiencing. That these communities talk to you and say, hey, we don't have water. Well, let's try to make that happen. And seeing how how there may be a better a better outcome for everyone Mm. they are your representative they are not your uh your king
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and then some people want a king and it's like well i don't know what to tell you about that (laughs) not great (laughs) well and it feels like you know i mean secretly deep down inside i love christmas and i love america and that's my (laughs) secret you know but like the greatness (laughs) of america is in its people And I think that it's it feels I don't know, something feels bad as sort of how the concept of patriotism has been hijacked by people who, Mm -hmm. you know, don't love America because they don't love the people in it, among other things. And, yeah, speaking of the concept of freedom and we have sort of the libertarian concepts of freedom, which are, you know, freedom to keep your money, freedom to not wear a seatbelt, freedom to have a militia, I guess, you know, other cool stuff, freedom to eat drink raw milk (laughs) like girls on tiktok are doing now i guess but also like yeah that it it, like what if we conceptualized more the ideas of like the freedom to have a baby without worrying that you're gonna die or the freedom to have a baby for free (laughs) yeah or the freedom to also not have a baby or just you know that yeah for a country so obsessed with freedom things sure do cost a lot (laughs)
0: yeah yeah (laughs) beautifully put well here's the thing that we know is there a dad is there a father in this (laughs) is there a single father we know Charles Grodin was a dad in Beethoven we know that Charles Grodin we
1: know Charles Grodin could kill any person on this planet with a pen (laughs) at a moment's notice
0: we know that Charles Grodin was Beethoven the Saint Bernard's father who, in your view, Hector, was the daddy of Dave, the Dave D?
2: Well, it is the man of the service, Mr. Dwayne Stevenson, being Reims, because who was giving the full care? It was before he was a president, a fake president. Then when he was the full president. And then after that, the aftercare of, you know, you have lots of great dreams I believe in them, man. What's more daddy than believing in what you are?
1: Oh, wow. That's so true. Holy God.
2: I love that.
0: I'm going to go. This is a I don't know. This is a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to go with <laughs> Sigourney Weaver ah, yeah. as the actress. Because I, you always get Sigourney Weaver being Sigourney Weaver in a movie. You, can, I can make one guarantee if Sigourney Weaver's in the movie is she's going to show up as Sigourney Weaver. And there are two things in this movie that I love her as. When she's is disguised as a regular man of the people at the end to sneak into the campaign center and she just looks like a boy uh she looks great but what i really enjoy about her not being sigourney weaver in this role is when they get pulled over and have to sing on the spot I love that, <laughs> and she i don't know what sigourney weaver's singing voice is like but shows off being a person who's not able to sing very well as the to, to hide out in this role that she's playing and i laughed so unexpectedly hard when i saw that scene <laughs> Because she's so poised, like she's the daughter of the man who invented almost all modern television programming. She's poised, but she really brought the cringe to that to that scene, and I loved it.
1: God bless her, Sarah Marshall. Who is your Dave Daddy? My daddy in this is is Ben Kingsley because I oh. think he plays a character of such kind of powerful yet unassuming decency that he sort of allows Kevin Klein to see his way, allows Dave. To see his way to the end of the story, I feel like, and I love that. Mm. I feel like that's a hard role to play, and I don't know, Ben Kingsley's great.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Hector, thank you for bringing Dave to us. How would people find you in your work? How would you prefer they find you in your work?
2: I am very active on Instagram. I also am on Blue Sky. I abandoned Sheeter. Oh, sorry. uh, X Twitter. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and maybe I'll be opening a Tumblr about bands and how much their albums sound like they are recording on an album on a cave and call that review plays the Spelunker. Who knows? Anyways, mostly Instagram as Mexicanity, that's where you can find me talking about feelings and food a lot.
1: Oh my God. My two favorite things.
0: Fabulous. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, of feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Hector for joining us. We were so happy to have you and uh, stoked to be able to talk about Dave. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for producing and editing this episode. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our episodes sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thanks to you for listening to this episode. Thanks for supporting us and uh, finding us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions and getting those bonus episodes. Truly, though, we can't do this without some folks helping us pay the bills. So we really do appreciate you. Don't forget that you, my friend, are good. Find us on social media uh, if you want to find us on social media. We're at You Are Good or You Are Good Pod. Don't forget to check out You're Wrong About and You Are Good at San Francisco Sketch Fest. We would love to see your faces in the audience. And I think that's it for this week's episode of You Are Good. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Uh, take care of yourself. Stay warm. I don't know. Do the thing. Help a stranger. Call that person who you haven't called in a while treat yourself right tell that self-doubting voice in the back of your head to shut the fuck up take care everybody